0: Well, good morning. Welcome to Chapel Hill. My name is Peter Herzog. I'm one of the worship leaders here, and I'm uh, glad you're here this morning. If you need a Bible, go ahead and raise your hand. We have these fine ushers who will walk around and hand you a Bible. You'll want one this morning. I think it's helpful uh, for the, the sermon this morning. Uh, so open your Bibles to Romans chapter 8. We've been in Romans for a little while now, and we're going to continue on in that. Romans chapter 8 verse 1 says this there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus let me say it again there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus if you will let me say it again There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen. Amen. Verse 11. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Jesus Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. Paul points out, that if Christ is in us, His Spirit is filling us and giving life to our mortal bodies. This is the Apostle Paul writing this. This is his vision. Romans eight eighteen, The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Provided we suffer with him in order that we, may be also, that we may also be glorified with him. Paul's vision is that we are children of God. But not only children, heirs of God. With our brother Christ Jesus. Heirs. Children of God. Filled with the Spirit. Giving life to our mortal bodies. No condemnation. Verse 18. I love this verse. If you're going through a hard time, write this down. Get this in front of you on a regular basis. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. Amen. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that's about to be revealed in us. What a compelling Vision. It goes on, verse twenty-three, and not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the spirit grown inwardly, as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. And here Paul is pointing out that the world is not right, and that creation itself is groaning for what's to come, and not only the creation. But ourselves, those of us that have the Spirit of Christ, there's a deep groaning, a longing for the future that God wants to bring. And then in verse 26, it goes on even farther. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses, for we do not know what to pray as we ought. But the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. So the creation is groaning. We're groaning. And the Spirit of God is groaning with groanings too deep for words. And then, verse 29. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. So Paul's vision is that there's no condemnation in Christ and that the Spirit is giving life to our mortal bodies and we are children of God, heirs of God. And that there's this groaning in the world and groaning in us and that's a groaning that God shares in. But God has a plan. God has a plan to call us into his kingdom, wipe us clean, and then bring us into a place where we can share in his glory. That's Paul's vision. And so, when you take all that into account, I kind of skip through uh, that part of, of chapter 8. He then says this, and it's not surprising. You can kind of feel this fevered pitch in Paul. He says, so what should we say to these things? Given all, that, all, all I just said, all these amazing truths that I just said, what shall we say if God is for us? Who could be against us? Who could be against us? Can you just sense his passion in writing this? Even 2,000 years later, can you sense the excitement that Paul has? And he should be. All these things that I just said to you, the highlights of what what I see in Romans 8, are compelling, profound, deep, exciting, aren't they? Aren't they? Yes, amen. I love this vision. I love the vision of Romans 8, the vision that Paul gives us here. There's so much hope, so much hope in this. And so the question I have today, is that your vision? As you walk out these doors, as you go about your day, is that your vision? Do you have in your mind, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. I'm an heir. I'm an heir. And God has a plan. God has a plan. One day. One day, everything the creation, my, my spirit, and God's spirit is groaning for will come to perfection. Is that your vision? Do you have that vision on a daily basis? Or are you like me, where sometimes what happens is I get all riled up and excited, and this all makes sense, and I understand it, and I learn from it, but I go out there, and the counter messages of this world take my focus away from the Romans 8 vision. That happens to me. And I find myself on a Wednesday going, holy cow, I'm so far away. What do we even talk about on Sunday? I don't even remember. And so my mind shifts. I get distracted. And other stories, other narratives, other other priorities are competing for what Paul lists out. For what Paul is celebrating. See, when I read Paul... And I read chapter 8. And I was so excited to go through that section with you. Because what happens in me is that faith rises up. Does that happen with you? Faith rises up when I read these truths. When I let scripture in. Faith rises up. But I notice when I leave this place or I disconnect myself from the word. And I start to listen to other messages. Something else rises up. And that's fear. You ever notice that? fear rises up. I notice when I leave the Romans 8 vision, fear rises up. So what I want to do this morning is I want to talk about that a little bit. I want to talk about how we can stay tuned to the Romans 8 vision and have faith rise up on a regular basis and how we can abandon fear And not live in that place where fear is growing in us. So to do that, I want to talk about Psalm 23. Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me behind still waters. He restores my soul. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And then I want to focus in on this verse. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. And then he goes on, Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Hallelujah. Amen. What a beautiful vision. It aligns with Romans 8. But go back to that that verse. The, The psalmist is in the valley, the valley of the shadow of death, the pit. Have you been in a pit? Do you have stories? Do you have pit stories? Not, not pit stories, pit stories. In the pit, in the presence of my enemies, the Lord sets a table before me. What is that verse about? I think it's all about what we're talking about here. Because here's what I find there is a table. And there is a table where I have the option of determining who's at that table. By the power of the Holy Spirit, I get to choose who's at that table. And often what I find is the voices that I allow into my table are counter kingdom. They're not. They're not in line with God's kingdom. They're lying to me, but they're loud, and they're persuasive, and they're persistent. So, I find when I consider this, how do I get away from the Romans 8 vision? It's this, I let voices to my table that are counter-kingdom, that are counter-Romans 8, and I lose the enthusiasm that you hear from Paul. If God is for us, who could be against us? I lose that. And I'm not having faith rise up. Fear is rising up in me. I'm a paranoid person. I'm a cynical person. I've noticed as I've gotten older, I battle cynicism. I was texting with a friend of mine about cynicism. And he, he wrote this quote. He said he, he wrote back to me. He's a smart guy. He's getting his PhD. He's, he makes me feel like I'm, I don't know. He's, I love him. but I, you know. So he wrote back. He said this to me. He said, he said cynicism is a form of enlightenment that leads the, leaves the world in a dimmer light. Cynicism is a form of enlightenment that leaves the world in a dimmer light. So whenever I am in this fearful place or this cynical place, man, I feel like I'm so enlightened, I'm so smart, I'm so, in, I'm so uh, beyond what others are thinking, yet what the result of that is, my actions, my the way I interact with those around me, those I love, those that are my brothers and sisters in Christ, I leave a dimmer light. So there is a profound impact to these voices around my table in how I live. Not only is it making me fearful, but it's also hurting my relationships. My fear, my cynicism is pushing people away. So let's address these voices. Let's address the table. Let's address the voices that I allow around this table. And maybe you'll find you've let these around as well. Um, The first voice that I hear often is this You're not going to make it. You're not going to make it. It's all going to fall apart. Everything that you're trying to do, yeah, maybe it's going well, it's going good, but you're just being led up a cliff, and soon you're just going to fall. You're not going to make it. You're not going to make it. It's all going to fall apart. You're just one step away, and it's going to happen. It's inevitable. You're not going to make it. And this is valley thinking. This is valley of the shadow of, the, of death thinking. This is when I'm in the valley of the shadow of death, and I think that the valley is the end. I think that the valley is, this is reality as we know it, and as we know it forever. But that is the lie. The lie is that the valley is the end. The truth is, the valley is the middle. And there is a glorious future, a Romans 8 future ahead. The end of Psalm 23 is this glorious future And so this lie, you're not going to make it. You're going to be in the shadow. You're going to be the valley of the shadow of death the rest of your life. It's not true. But I believe it sometimes. And it causes me to lose sleep. And it causes me anxiety. And it it, it lowers my confidence. Confidence in what God's called me to do. You're not going to make it. But... With Christ, we know this. There's rest on the other side. There's peace on the other side. There's glory on the other side. What does Romans 8 say? That the suffering of this world doesn't compare with the glory that's to come. That's the truth. That's what's coming. Not this. Not despair. Do you ever enter in despair thinking? Here's here's evidence of despair thinking. You say this. I'll never fill in the blank. Never, this will never happen to me. I'll never, it's this, it's not faith. It's despair. It's anti-kingdom. It's counter-kingdom. It's a closed system perspective. It's valley thinking. It's not Romans 8. So if you hear this voice, you're not going to make it. If you hear that going through your mind, then you need to kick this enemy away from your table. Excuse them from your table. But there's another voice. Another voice that I hear often It's this. There's something better over there. There's something better over there. There's something greener. There's greener grass on the other side. There's something better for you. You don't have to live and settle for your... There's something better over here. Just go over here. You can have this. Just, you could have it. And it creates this discontent. And you're following God and following his way, but then there's this temptation. There's this voice. There's something better over here. You could have it. You could have this. You see, Satan is after God's glory. He's after God's glory. He wants to destroy God's mission in the world. He wants to pull us off track. He wants to get us away from his calling. He does it every day. I, uh, I don't know if you ever heard the band Cayman's Call. Um, in, when I was in college, uh, Cayman's was like at their peak, and they were, uh, they were making these songs that we were playing to the dorm, and it was, you know, that, that's like my college life, was Cayman's Call. So if you know that band, great, we're, we're, we're bonding. If not, it's good, check them out. So, uh, <laughs> so there's, there was one artist... One artist that's part of Cayman's Call named Derek Webb. And last night, he, he, I was looking at his new album that just came out called Fingers Crossed. And what, what a tragedy. Some of my favorite songs from Cayman's Call, rich with theology, rich with the love of God, were written by Derek. And now I read his songs and they're all about, I'm not kidding with you, alcohol. That's what he sings about. He, said, he has this whole song where he talks in these, like, these sp- spiritual language. And it's, it's a joke, and it's, it's irony, and it's satire. And he's, he's, he's worshiping, I'm not kidding with you, he's worshiping alcohol. And at one point, he uh, just a couple of years ago, he, uh, he, he, he uh, had an affair. He, he had a divorce with his wife. And then last time, he was, he was actually, I was following his Twitter account, and he posted, I've gone through a horizontal divorce, and I've gone through a vertical divorce. Is what he said. He believed the lie that there's something better on the other side. And it pulled him off track. And now I look at what he's doing through his art, and it's dark, and it's leaving the world a darker place, and it's sad. It's real. If you have this voice in your life that there's something better on the other side, kick this voice away from your table. And don't give the enemy a seat, because here's, here's the thing. Jesus' vision is grander, is bigger, is more compelling, is more life-giving than any other competing vision. When I go to work, the one the one prayer that gets me through all the way to work is this. is simple. I've come to this. I feel like I, in, in 37 years of being a Christian, I've come down to this. I just plead with God. God, your will be done. Your will be done. Because I'm convinced that God's plan is greater than any competing plan that's out there. I'm convinced of this. And I may not know what it is. I may not know God's will. But I'm throwing myself at the mercy of his feet I'm saying, God, your will be done. Your will be done. I choose your will. I hear the competing voices. I, hear, I see the alternate paths in front of me. Your will be done. Your kingdom come. And if you hear the competing voice, kick him away from your table and don't give that enemy a seat. By the way, when I say enemy, I, I am referring to Satan and demonic voices, but I'm also referring to our own sinful nature. And I'm also referring to the to the messages of this world. That's the enemy. There's another voice. You're not good enough for God. You don't matter. You're not good enough. There's the megachurch pastor. There's the missionaries that are on TV. There are the, 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 the giant worship leaders of the world. You are not that. You are lower. You're not good enough for God. You're going to stay in this tiny little space. In fact, you know what? You probably should just step out of ministry because you're not, just just, just do well and not don't hurt anybody. Because really, God doesn't care. He doesn't really want to use you. He, doesn't, he just, in fact, this whole thing you're doing is all your own stuff. God's not even involved. You don't matter to God. Sometimes it, in different times of life, you can feel this way. That perhaps God has just has his arms crossed. He's turned his back on me. He's not listening. He's just angry. I'm not good enough for him. And this enemy's voice will just, just bite into that, will just stick his foot into that stronghold and push on that and say yo you're not good enough for God you've lost it you've lost it with him he's done with you but Jesus says this morning to this I don't care what your feelings are I don't care if you feel like you're not good enough for me let me give you some empirical data look at this this is what you mean to me I died for you whenever you have the sense that you're not good enough for me look at this if you feel like you're not good enough for me, look at this. Look what I did for you on the cross. I, I'm a good shepherd. I'm a good shepherd and I lay my life down for the sheep. That's who I am. You're my beloved. Don't listen to this, you're not good enough for me hogwash. I have made you clean. Your heart is white as snow. I have accomplished it on this cross. I know you feel this way, but it's not true. It's a lie. And if you hear this voice that you're not good enough for me, kick the enemy away from your table. The last one is this. There could be other voices, but just for this morning. The last one is this. Everyone's out to get you. Everyone's out to get you. Everyone's against you. There's people plotting right now. They're they're looking for the moment to pull out from under the rug your, your plans. Everyone's out to get you. Everyone's against you. And the result is this. The result is paranoia. And you've met people like this, and you've been like this, where you feel like people are against you. Everyone's against you. And so this result is paranoia, paranoia rises up, fear rises up, you enter a defensive position. And, here's, here, and I, I experienced this, this this last week. I was working with a team. I, I do some weird stuff with teams. It's good stuff, not weird, but good. And, and so we, there's this three-person team, one guy and two girls. And so we were brought in as, as like a consulting group to help this team out because they're storming. That's technical words for teams. You learned something this morning, storming. Teams go through uh, forming, storming, and norming, and then performing, okay? Those are the phases. So they're storming. And here's why. There's one guy named Dave. He is terrified that the other two team members are working to take down his business. We interviewed them, the other two, and they said... Absolutely not. We could not be more excited about this business. We we see the growth. We're so frustrated that we keep fighting, but we want this thing to work. We're committed for the, to make this work. But we talk to him, and he's like, "They're they're conspiring against me." And so, what does he do? In his fear, he micromanages them. He's constantly asking, "What are you doing? Where are you going? If they go on vacation, where where are you headed?" Uh, and they're starting to get resentful to him. He's afraid. He has this this voice in his head saying everyone's out to get you. And what happens is this, here's the sad part. It becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. Basically, his paranoia and his fear creates the conditions where the thing that he fears actually happens because eventually people will say enough, I can't do it anymore, and they will leave. This voice is destructive. If you hear this voice at your table, you need to kick him away from your table because here's the truth. Here's the truth. Goodness and mercy will follow you all the days of your life. You are a child of God, you are an heir of God. The future is bright. The future is glorious. God is for you. Okay, there may be enemies in your life that are out to get you. That might be the case, but that doesn't matter. Because in the end, Jesus overcomes all of it. And so we don't need to live in this place of paranoia and fear. Because we know the one who holds the power of heaven and earth is for us. And he says, goodness and mercy will follow you all the days of your life. Don't listen to this voice. Don't listen to this lie. So, the message this morning was titled, To Trade Fear for Confidence. How do you trade fear for confidence? It's to ignore the voices around you and pay attention to the one voice. To ignore these enemies, to ignore this chatter, this noise, this competing vision, these competing stories. And listen to the one voice. Listen to the one voice that is shouting out the Romans 8 vision, the Psalm 23 vision. Listen to that voice. And when you do, when you read Romans 8, when you read Psalm 23 and other passages like them, faith rises up and fear is diminished. When you read those passages and soak in understand and remind yourselves of God's vision for the world, faith rises up and cynicism diminishes. And there's a result of better relationships that happen and that occur. Thanks you guys, you can, you can step down now. Give him a hand. Give me a hand. And that's why I cry out to God every single day. Like, your will be done. Give me your vision. I want your plan, your passion. I'm convinced, even when I don't see it, I'm convinced that if I were to allow your plan to work out in my life, that I were to follow What you want for me that it would be better for myself, it'd be better for my family, it would be better for everyone around me. And the thing is that oftentimes our circumstances get in the way and we hear these other voices, but his plan exceeds our circumstances. There may be, we may be seated at a table with Christ and there's enemies all around us like the vision of Psalm 23. But, and, those, and those enemies might be barking all sorts of lies to us. But the truth is this, that his plan exceeds our circumstances. His plan o- has overcome their plans. And we live in this kind of transition state right now where God has done it. He's finished the work on the cross. But as, as Pastor Paul brought up several weeks ago, we live in this world where it's already and not yet. Where, where God has done it, there's been finished work. He's defeated, the, he's defeated the power of sin and death. He's defeated Satan, yet Satan still prowls around. Yet sin still is here because we've not reached the perfection that the Bible talks about. We've not reached that moment that the whole creation and our hearts and our spirits are groaning for. We live in this tension of it's, all, it's already done but not yet. We live in that place, but here is the thing: even though these enemies that are part of this all this already done, not yet thing that they're barking all these messages to us, they are defeated. And we need to intentionally look to Christ and look to His vision. And so, here is how you do this: let the Spirit lead you. First John five twelve says, "Whoever has the Son has life." Do you have the Son? Do you have Christ in your life? Make sure you're spiritually alive. You will not be able to counter these voices unless you have Christ in your life. Christ has died for your sin. He's risen again, and he's calling you today to follow him, to trust him, to put your faith in him. Whoever has His son has life. And then seek this shepherd daily. Because here's the thing, we're like sheep. Derek was an example of this to me, and I feel it myself. We are prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. We're like sheep that can easily go astray. We need to let the shepherd lead us day by day. And we need to choose to follow him day by day. And here's the other part of it, too, is that not only do we need to trust him, but we need to lean into his direction. We We need to move toward him. Yes, throughout Romans, it talks about the Holy Spirit moving in us, giving life to our mortal bodies and doing and bringing to life so much in us. Yes, the fruit does this, but we also have a will. And God calls us to move toward him, take a step toward him. And when we do this, there's power. When we do this, there are resources. When we pull on the Holy Spirit, he moves in us. Here's the other warning too, and this, this, this is something I as i prepared this sermon i thought about this like it crossed my mind that i actually some of these voices are familiar ones that i've known for a long time and actually i become comfortable with them and i and you'll actually find that in some in a weird way it's hard to kick them from the table because there's actually some comfort in in them a little bit you kind of you kind of like their perspective you kind of are drawn into that perspective so it's hard to kick them Kick them away. Get them off the table. Choose Christ. Know that you may have this challenge. And also, and in, 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 in put up your guard, because the last thing I'll say is this. is In Romans chapter 7, 21, it says this. Paul points out the spiritual truth. He says, I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. When I start to move in the direction of Christ... Expect the attack. When I begin clearing the table and I only allow Christ to be at my table and I only listen to him, expect the other voices to have a problem with that and begin to get louder in your life. Expect that attack. They don't often leave the table gracefully like they did today. They will fight. So, Some of you, and and I I need this, some of us need like a a, a tangible way to do this. So I'm just going to throw it out there. We're not going to check in on you. I'm not going to check in. No one is. But I just want to challenge you with this. Okay, so research shows 21 days to make a habit, right? What would happen if you read Romans 8 for 21 days? I clocked it. It's a little over five minutes to read, read Romans 8. What would happen if you read Romans 8 for 21 days straight? Perhaps you would read it in the morning and at night. To get that vision in your head. To get Paul's vision. To get to the point where when you get to verse 31, you're like, yes! What should we say to these things? God is, if God is for us, who could be against us? Now, if, if Romans 8 is too long, how about this? Psalm 23, I'm negotiating with you. Psalm 23. Psalm 23 is like, I think it's like eight verses. You can read it in about a minute. What if you read Psalm 23 for 21 days so that your, your vision is in alignment with the kingdom and with Romans 8 and what with, with Paul gets excited about? Because if, if you're anything like me, and I know I am, I love, I love that line. <laughs> if you're anything like me, I need to be reminded daily. Because there are other messages. There's, there's other competing stories. There's other alternative routes that are hitting me every single day. So Chapel Hill, do you have the vision of Romans 8? Who's at your table? Are they communicating that vision to you on a daily basis? Seek him. Seek him with a desperate heart. And as Hebrews 11 says, God God rewards those who seek him with a desperate heart. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, saying thank you for Romans 8 just feels so inadequate to the, content within that chapter to the amazing truths and the reality that paul describes and i'm compelled to question like what if we as a people had the same vision paul had the same vision that we've been talking about that we were grounded in this in this the very first verse there's no condemnation for those who are in christ jesus Thank you, Lord, for the faith that rises up in us when we read that. Thank you that it dispels fear, it destroys cynicism. God, I ask right now that you would just reveal, by the power of your spirit, you would reveal the voices around our table that need to be dismissed. Show us, Lord, the sources of those voices. Give us clarity in this and help us Give us the strength and the wisdom to know how to dismiss these voices. But not only that, Lord, show us the path forward so that we can hear your voice, so that we consistently are reminded of your vision, so that we can join with Paul and just shout how excited we are, Lord! How how grateful we are that you are for us and that we can excuse the fear because if anyone's against us, if there's any enemies, they are overcome by the power of your blood. And the word of, your t- of, of the testimony of your creation. Thank you, Lord, that you've overcome. Thank you for the cross. And it's a reminder, it's tangible reminder of your amazing love for us. It's tangible reminder that you are executing on your plan. This plan you've had since the beginning of time. To bring a people into glory with you. What an amazing truth. You've overcome. Every competing voice you've overcome. Hallelujah. All praise be to you, Lord Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name, the church said, amen. amen. amen.